Well, thank you very much, and it's great to be with you again. I'm Randy, and uh, I work for an organization called the Charles Simeon Trust that uh, teaches people how to study the Bible and teach it more effectively. And <clears throat> one of the privileges of that work is that I get to travel all over the world. And I've worshiped with churches in uh, Poland, in France, in Germany, uh, in uh, Asian countries that I can't even mention. And uh, this summer I was in Brazil doing workshops and worshiping in the churches there. And it never ceases to amaze me to, to come into a, a new church, uh, hear the singing of the same songs praising Jesus, to see people who care about each other, love each other, pray together. Um, it's just amazing to see what God is doing all over the world. And I, I just want to say, coming into Redeemer as a newcomer, I'm again impressed with the way God is at work. Uh, here, as well as many churches in our community, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up and drawing people to himself. So it's a privilege to be here with you today. You know, I, <clears throat> when you turn on your television, you see a lot of hopelessness and despair and darkness. Last night, I just turned on the news and immediately was confronted with the opioid crisis and new pills that they're concerned would be attractive to children. Uh, the problem with taking these pills is that it kills people. Uh, the opioid crisis is becoming greater. Then immediately it went to another news series on suicide rates among veterans and uh, what they're trying to do to help people who are uh, suffering from post-traumatic syndrome. And then there was something on inflation and the stock market and how everything's falling apart. And then the next story was on conflict and tensions that are going on, whether they be political or otherwise. It seems as if a good way to describe our world is it's dark. It's dark. When my children were little, and they're all grown up now, when they were little, occasionally I would get up in the night and I didn't want to wake my wife. And so I would head toward whatever room it was and inevitably I would stumble on something. The most painful thing were Legos. You ever stepped on a Lego? Barefooted? Okay, I see a few that have. Very painful experience. That's what happens in the dark. A friend of mine's a worship leader. He thought he would go into his church. It was dark, and he didn't want to take the time to go turn on the lights, and he was going across, and he ran into the cross. He said, well, that's not a bad thing. You stumble along until you run into the cross. <laughs> we stumble in the dark. But as we come to the Gospel of John, we get this glimpse of light. In the prologue, John chapter 1, 1 through 18, we find this foundational statement, a mini-biography that tells us where hope can be found. It's not in therapy, in medications, self-help programs, 
political leader. All of those may be helpful, but it's not the ultimate. According to John chapter 1, we have a God who speaks. And he said, in the beginning was the word. This word was with God. This word was God. This word is eternal. This word is the light of life. This God overcomes the darkness. We're introduced to Jesus Christ. Now, up through the verses we've read so far, 1 through 13, Jesus' name has not even been mentioned. That will come in verse 17. But in our passage today, we are introduced to a witness. A witness who testifies to a true light. And through it, we learn how we can know God. It's a powerful passage. And what we learn in our passage today is that Jesus Christ overcomes the darkness when we believe in his name and become his children. The light has a witness. That's what we're told in verses 6 through 8. Why do we need a witness, by the way? If Jesus is the word coming into the, into the world, why do we need a witness? Because God is so intent on bringing his life that he gives us a witness in order to see it. We're introduced to this man named John that we learn is not the author of the Gospel of John, but John the baptizer. It's interesting that John does not even mention that he's a Baptist, but if you read Luke, you learn that John was born to elderly parents in a rather miraculous way, called by God to be a prophet even before he was born. He leaped in his mother's womb when she saw Mary, who was expecting Jesus, and he had a ministry in the desert, preaching baptism of repentance. His role was to witness about the light, to draw attention to Jesus Christ. He was not the light, even though many questioned him. And we're going to learn more about that in verses 19 and following. His role was not to be the light, but to be a witness to the light. I don't want to spoil the story for you, but he was martyred later by King Herod. I love how the Bible testifies and is fulfilled in the life of Jesus and the New Testament. John the Baptist was prophesied to come in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. In Malachi 3.1, we read these words. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here we are with a witness calling, look at Jesus. And why was this witness needed? Well, first of all, it shows to the extent to which God is willing to go to help us believe in him. What an act of grace. Also, a witness 
in a technical term, is to provide testimony in a law court and evidence so that we can believe. This is what John does. And his witness also reminds us of who Jesus is and who we are not. <laughs> Sometimes we need a reminder from somebody like John who is humble and say, I'm not the light, Jesus is. And we are going to find more witnesses in this gospel. In fact, the word witness, either as a noun or a verb, is used over 47 times in this gospel. I don't know if you're a fan of what happens in Britain, but in case you haven't noticed, the, the queen passed away. For 70 years, she reigned in England. But I thought it was interesting that amidst all the accolades and celebrations of her life, it came out that she had a deep faith. Some of you may be fans of The Crown. Is that on Netflix? And you may remember the episode where Billy Graham came to talk to the Queen. She was struggling with a lack of forgiveness toward a family member who was involved with the Nazis. Billy Graham shared the gospel with her. She loved having Billy Graham come to England he was often at the palace with her, with Ruth, his wife. He preached to the royal family on several occasions. And it's interesting that through the midst of all this celebrating, it came out that this woman, humble as she was, was loyal to Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus. And in so many ways, through her Christmas uh, readings and, and broadcasts, she would highlight her faith in Jesus Christ. John was a witness. And there's something here for us. We are witnesses as well. And we won't get the attention that the queen received. But in small ways, on a daily basis, we point people to Christ. We are witnesses as well. That's our role. Now, the... Witness was pointing to something specific in verse 9. He was trying to tell people that the light had come into the world. You know, there are many voices calling for attention. John is saying, but you need to look at the light, the true light. Look at verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Now, the light came into the world is a way of saying Jesus became a human being. Jesus, who existed before eternity, before the world began, existed in eternity, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father, came to our planet. The light came into our world. You might wonder about the word world. It's used several times, I think 78 times in the Gospel of John. Sometimes it's a good uh, reference to the world of humanity, like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Other times, it's a neutral reference, but primarily the word world is used of sinful, rebellious humanity. It's used in a negative sense, which you can see 
the world inhabited by people who despise God and rebel against him, darkened by sin, hostile to Christ, influenced by the devil. You have to look at the context of the passage to understand in what sense the world is used. But in this sense, it's saying that the world into this sinful humanity came the true light, the true light. You know, the Jewish people of that day looked to Abraham or Moses or the law or the temple or sacrifices for light. But here is John pointing to the true light, the light who is the genuine article. The true light is not a counterfeit. It's not a substitute. It's the ultimate as opposed to everything else. It's funny how the Jewish people uh, would say, well, you know, Moses gave us manna. And Jesus said, no, no, Moses didn't get manna. God gave manna. Then he said, I am the manna. I want you to think about the implications of that. Here is a man claiming to be God, existing from all eternity, the genuine article, the true light. And what's a little intimidating about this is that it says he shines on all people. Been many speculations about this. What does that mean, that the true light enlightens everyone? Well, it could refer to general revelation that God shines the light of his glory on the whole world through what he has created. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, since the creation of the world. It's been obvious that there is a creator, a designer. But more than that, everyone lives under God's illumination in Christ because of the incarnation of Jesus, whether they see it or not. Christ has come into this world he was a historical figure, God in human flesh, and because of his coming, the calendar has changed, B.C., A.D., and everyone in some way is exposed to the truth. This isn't the time to talk about people who've never heard of Christ, but we know from Scripture that those who have heard of Christ have a responsibility and accountability to God. The light shines, and some welcome it, and some despise it. The light shines, the truth comes, and people are exposed. You know when you're exposed, have you ever turned on the, I, I was in Haiti one time, and I turned on the lights in the night and I saw the biggest cockroaches I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, these things were so big, I thought they were gonna carry me away. Flipped on the light, they were running in every direction, and, and I am not exaggerating. Some of them were flying. They had wings. When the light goes on, things are exposed, and we wanna hide. And we need the light of Christ to see us. You know, we 
try so many self-serving ways to get through life. I was talking to a counselor recently and she told me of a man who'd come in. He had a problem, he was homeless, and part of the reason he was homeless is he had a job, but he was just trying to take care of so many people, he was giving all his money away and he was homeless. And in the course of the conversation, it came out, why are you working so hard? And it came out that when he was a younger man, he had committed a serious sexual sin. And so his whole life was spent from then on trying to self-atone. He was trying to take care of everybody because gripped in his heart was the evil that he had done. And when the light was shined on that, he suddenly found freedom in Christ. See, here's what John is saying. He's pointing to the true, authentic light. But there's a mixed response to this light because of his exposing power. And that's what he tells us in verses 10 through 13. The right light receives a mixed response. Some reject it. Others receive it. Some reject the light because... They're spiritually blind and rebellious. It says in verse 10, he was in the world, the world of humanity that was made through him, and yet the world did not know him, did not recognize him. Here was a world where minds were darkened by the reality of the fall and sin. John will go on to tell us about that in chapter 12, verse 37. But his point is that since the beginning of time where human beings rebelled against God, that's infected the whole human race. And one of the signs and symptoms of this darkness is that people are spiritually blind and on their own cannot see this light. Can you imagine birthing a company as the CEO and the company flourishes. And you decide to have a company picnic, like you're having a picnic today. And all the employees are invited to the picnic. And you, who are the CEO, show up and no one recognizes you. And in fact, as you're standing amongst the people, you hear a lot of people complaining about you saying horrible things about you. Now, I was imagining this, and I was thinking, man, you know, there needs to be a TV show about something like this. And then I realized there was. It's called Undercover Boss. <laughs> but imagine what that would be like. Not only that, it says in verse 11, he came to his own people, his own Jewish people, and they did not receive him. They were his own people in two ways. First of all, he'd created them, and secondly, he bought them for himself out of all the nations of the world, and yet they rejected him. He came to his own, and they didn't receive him. Can you imagine going to a family reunion as a father and a grandfather, uncle, whatever you are, aunt, grandmother, and you walk into that family reunion 
and people despise you. And they say, leave. We don't want you here. Imagine what that would be like. Jesus comes, the true light who created the world, who brings the hope that we need, and people rejected him because they were blinded. Some people see the light and they just don't like it. But as hopeless as that sounds, verse 12 reminds us that some receive and believe and become children of God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Some receive him, believe, and are adopted into his family. His name, believe in his name, that refers to all that he is and all that he has done. His attributes and his works. Sometimes you hear people say, well, we're all children of God. Well, this verse might tell us something different. We are children of God in that all humans have been created in the image of God, Genesis chapter 1. But not all are children of God because we're sinners by nature and by choice. We do not receive him. Left to ourselves, we're as bad off as we could be. That's what scripture teaches us. Children of God are those who are his spiritual children by faith in Christ. They're born into this family. And that's when we discovered that as bad off as we are, we're more loved than we could have ever expected. Not all are children of God, only those who've received him. But to all who receive him and believe in his name, they have the right to become children of God. Well, that raises a question. Well, what is this belief? Believe and receive, I think he's using the two terms in the same way. They're receiving, they're believing in him. What belief is not is a work of self-atonement, like our friend who was at the counselor. Self-atonement project, or just agreeing with facts. We used to say this when we were witnessing to college students. Um, I can believe in Abraham Lincoln, and he's a great historical figure, but he doesn't change my life. The Bible says that the demons believe and shudder. Satan believes in God, but it isn't trans transforming. Belief is more than just intellectual assent. There's something more going on here. And it's not a reliance on someone else's faith. Last week I was talking about how I came to know the Lord as a nine-year-old boy in vacation Bible school. And uh, I was so excited when I came home. I burst into the house and the first thing I did is I, I found my mom and I said, Mom, I became a Christian today. And she said, oh, I thought you were a Christian. I never had a chance to ask her what that meant in later life. But there can be an assumption that because I'm born into a Christian family, or my parents are Christians, or I hang around with Christians, I must be a Christian. Nothing could be further from the truth. What is belief then? Well, belief means you receive a gift 
and are born of God. The new birth is a gift from God that saves us spiritually. It is to welcome, to believe. It is not a, not a work, meritorious work. To trust in Jesus or to receive him means to personally welcome, trust, and submit all your life to him. It is a surrender. It's putting up a white flag. It's saying, Lord, I'm yours. I love what uh, Don Carson said in his commentary. Faith yields allegiance to the word, trusts him completely, and acknowledges his claims and confesses him with gratitude. That's what it means to receive him. So you're saying, well, how does this work, though? Because my mind is blinded. When the light comes and exposes things, my tendency is to want to run, to resist. I'm not sure I want God messing with my life. So how can I believe? Well, the next verse tells us, verse 13. See what it says? Who were born not of blood, that is not because of your ancestors, whether it's Abraham as a Jewish person or my mom, my family. It's not of blood. It's not of family heritage. It's not the will of the flesh. That is, it's not simply wanting it or striving for it or self-atoning for it. No, no. The will of the flesh, by the way, the word flesh is an indicator of weakness, not strength. Not of the will of a husband, it says in some versions. Not of the will of man. That is, no human being can force it. You know, there are religions in our world where you have to be forced to become that religious allegiance or you die. Christianity is not that. But born of God, spiritual life is from God. The object of our faith is God. It is God's initiative, and we respond. It's a, a delicate balance here that we, it's such a mystery, we've been debating it for four or 500 years, and even before that with Augustine. What does it mean that God is working and we're receiving, and how does divine initiative and human response go together? I don't know that I can explain it, I just know that that's what happens. God lifts the blinders, and we believe. That's what he's saying here. Maybe I could say it this way. John the Baptist comes pointing to the true light. We're proclaiming that today. The true light is being proclaimed right at this moment. You're hearing it. The light is coming through the proclamation of the scripture. It is like someone offering you a beautiful gift. They're standing before you offering that gift. The word is coming to you in this gift. Salvation is in Christ, the true light. Receive him, believe in him, abandon your life to him. It's here. And you're standing and looking. Faith is receiving that gift and saying, yes, I want it. You reach out and take it, and that gracious gift comes to you by faith, and it's the key to enjoying 
all of life. It's not a good work. It's a response to the work of another. And it changes life forever. We do live in a dark world. And a lot of people have lost hope. But day after day, people like this gentleman I was telling you about who was trying to self-atone, here's what Jesus did for them through his death and resurrection. And they discover that no matter how horrible the sins they've committed and continue to commit can be forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And believing in him, their minds, their hearts, their hands, their feet are filled with hope. And they begin to walk in life as a witness to the glory of this God. The question today is, do you believe this? Yes, we live in a dark world, but God did not abandon us. True light overcomes the darkness. God came into an undeserving, sinful, rebellious word and determined to save us despite the darkness. I mean, what a God we have. What a God of grace. The question is, have you believed in Jesus? Have you received the gift? You may be new to Christianity. You may be a long-term member of Redeemer Church. You can be an elder. You can even be a pastor and not have received the gift. I've met pastors who became Christians after they were preaching the Bible for several years. I don't know where you are today, but the light is shining Will you receive it? Will you believe? And if not, why not? And why not today? Why not today? Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful that you so loved the world that you gave your only unique, eternal Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today who does not yet know you, that they would uh, approach one of us today so that we could talk with them and look at your word together and discover how we can have life in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I, I do hope that if you are not yet a believer in Jesus, but you have questions, I'll stick around after church. And there are others too. We have a prayer team, and we would love to talk to you. It's such a life-transforming event and uh, time to know God. So please keep that in mind. We're going to take a time to pray. Uh, Glenn, you can coach me if I'm saying this right. You may want to divide into little groups with people that you know and you're comfortable with. 
Uh, if you're not comfortable praying out loud, it's okay. You can just sit in your group and, and pray silently as others pray. But it gives us a chance to pray through what we've just heard and to pray through the needs of this church. And I've given you a couple of prayer prompts. Do I need to read those? Huh? Read them? Yeah, okay. Uh, the first prayer prompt is, based upon John 1, 6 to 8, Jesus is the word that overcomes the darkness. Uh, pray uh, through this whole idea of why God needed to send a human witness to point to Jesus. And then also pray about what does it mean for you and for me to be witnesses for Jesus. Acts 1.8 says uh, that God makes us witnesses through the power of his Holy Spirit. So pray about that. What challenges you about that? What inspires you? Where have you seen God use your witness where you didn't expect it? Pray that Redeemer and other Bible-believing churches in our community will grow in witness to others. That's uh, something to pray about. And then secondly, why do you think the gospel writer uses the metaphor of light to describe Jesus? How is this world dark? And why do people not respond to his light? And according to John 1, 12 to 13, what does it really mean to become a child of God? Pray through those things. Have your Bible open to John 1 and pray through it. And then pray about the attitudes you see in people toward Jesus today. Consider those that you know that do not yet know Jesus and pray for them by name. And then secondly, if it's by grace through faith that you know Jesus, give thanks for your spiritual birth and your relationship to Jesus. It's all of God, not of us. God breathed on us, our eyes were opened, our minds were enlightened, and we received him. And he gets the praise and glory and honor for all of it. So let's just take some time to pray.